Um, I had something extra in your bulletin today. Did y'all notice it? It's starting to be the summer. So I just noticed around church, like the bishop has been here and Easter's over. And so I felt like, ah. And I, I said, I actually have time to give you a study guide, devotional guide this week. I had so much extra things that I wanted to say. Aren't you glad I didn't put them in the sermon? I put them on this. And so you can, this is all, I've been doing a lot of research, and this is some of the stuff that I thought was really interesting that I wanted you to get out of this. I'd invite you to use this this week. If you've been wondering, oh, I would like to have a prayer time with God, but what do I do? I've just done it for you, okay? Here it is. Start Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It'll take you all the way to Saturday. And you'll be kind of more up-to-date, more ready to go with this story of the Exodus. I'd like you to read through the book of Exodus as we're going through this this summer, okay? So it's just a few chapters a week. You can handle it, right? You can handle it. Um, so that's where this is. And you can look at that. I might make a few references to that because I think I put some kind of cool stuff in that. But if y'all don't like it, then I'm not going to do it because it's extra work, right? So tell me if you like it. If you don't like it, just don't say anything and then I'll know. Okay, Exodus chapter 2. Uh, I'd love to read the whole thing to you, but we're going to have to settle for a piece of it that gives you the gist of the story. I will bring you up to speed because we're going to start in chapter 2 um, at verse 11. And this is, this is a little bit of an extended passage, but it's narrative. So many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking all directions to make sure that no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Uh-oh. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard about what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls. Do you see a pattern in Moses' life here? Moses is a rescuer. Then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked, Why are you back so soon? An Egyptian rescued us. Isn't that interesting what they call him? He looks like an Egyptian. We're going to talk about that. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? Their father asked, why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there with him. In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zephora to be his wife. Later, she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. We're going to come back to that, how Moses didn't really fit anywhere. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Boy, that's a good scripture, right? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Anna and I went to the ballet just a couple of weeks ago. Are any of y'all, like, really big ballet fans? Y'all are. Okay. So the ballet we went to, because I'm not a huge fan, we just got tickets, okay? The ballet we went to was Romeo and Juliet, which is known for being a very beautiful play. And plays are known for being beautiful, especially Shakespearean, because of their beautiful words, right? 
their language. Now, when you go to a ballet that's based on a play, it's interesting, right? Because everything that used to be words is now a dance. So the play begins, the play, the dance begins with these three guys. They're not wearing name tags. I found this kind of hard because you're like, who do we have here? But I figured if there's three guys, then that has to be Romeo, Mercutio, and Benvolio, right? We're going to start with them because I know the play a little bit. They're all dancing, and I'm kind of like, who's Romeo? Like, I couldn't figure it out. He wasn't wearing, like, a golden cape. or There was nothing really to set him apart. You just had to figure out by the way he was dancing that he was Romeo. That was a little hard for me. And Anna, I've been telling her, you know, like, be good. This is a ballet. And she's leaning over, and she's trying to whisper as quiet as she can, Mommy, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm going to figure it out, and I'll tell you. And there's all these women dancing. I'm like, is one of these Juliet? Who is this? And then the scene changes, and then there's a ballet fight. That's interesting, too. Like, leap, punch, you know? Like, it was just funny. And so Anna's still like, Mommy, I'm like, shh, I'm figuring it out, baby. And then Juliet, we think, comes on. I'm like, okay, that girl in the short white dress is Juliet. I got it. But Romeo was a mystery until he finally, one of the three breaks away. And Romeo's in the blue tights, it turns out, just in case you go. Um, and he is dancing with Juliet. Okay, then. And so I'm like, blue tights, Anna, blue tights. That's Romeo. And Okay, so we got it. So... I thought of that as I was thinking about the introduction to Exodus, because you are going to see a lot of people dancing across this story, a lot. You're going to see midwives, you're going to see slaves, you're going to see this Pharaoh, you're going to see his servants, Pharaoh's servants, you're going to see all these plagues, you're going to see prophets, and you're going to see priests, and you're going to see a few kings. And in that whirl of motion, you're going to try, and I'm going to help you pick out the main character. We read his story just now. Who is he? Moses. Ha ha, tricked you. You're wrong. It's not Moses. <laughs> but that's what we always think. And so what I've found is when we read Exodus, we're watching the wrong person. It's as if when I look at the ballet, I pick out Mercutio and think he's Romeo. And so the whole time, my eye would be following Mercutio. And then when he dies, I'm like, what? He's not supposed to die yet, right? I'm following the wrong person. You're following the wrong person if you're watching Moses. But the Redeemer, the Rescuer, I did actually mention the Redeemer and the Rescuer. Does anybody have a good guess of who that is? Who the main character in the story of the Exodus is? Do I have you stumped? It's God. It's God. I need you to remember that. Who heard the people's cries for help? God heard. Who decided to act? God decided to act. What had Moses done up until this point to lead the people to freedom? He had killed someone and got a warrant put on his head and fled. That was the extent of what he had done. He had tried. We'll come back to that in a minute. But all of salvation history, even when we come to Christ, what Jesus did is an echo a great, traumatic, it's like the climax of what God did in the Exodus. So maybe Exodus is an echo of what's going to happen with Jesus. But all throughout the Old Testament, all the people are going to look back to this book and this moment. When they need to know who God is, 
they're going to remember what God did in the Exodus. They're going to say, times are hard right now, but God delivered us. And God is going to teach them, and we'll come to that, to say as if they were there. So when he gets to the children of the people he delivered, he said, remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and I rescued you. So the story becomes real for every generation, that we were slaves in Egypt, and God is our rescuer, and that's how we know God. So we're going to get to know God through the fundamental story in the Old Testament of how he's known as a rescuer and a deliverer. We should be excited about that. Y'all look rather serious, but this is exciting. Okay, so I want you to notice, if you have your Bible, how the book of Exodus begins. So turn to chapter 1. You'll notice, it says, it begins like this. These are the names of the son of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, and then it names them, and you're like, that's a weird beginning, right? I mean, shouldn't it say this is this great story of God's deliverance of his people or, or some introductory thing instead of just jumping right in? Well, if you turn, if you have your Bible and you turn back to Genesis, you'll see the last chapter of Genesis says that Joseph died and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So what this is like, do any of y'all have favorite shows that have just given you a great cliffhanger? because you're waiting the summer, you don't get anything, and they want you to tune back in in the fall? That's Genesis Exodus, okay? So Genesis ends, in Genesis, God made great promises to a man named Abraham, said, you come and follow me, and you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world, and you will have your own land. And he showed Abraham what that land was. And he said, and this will be yours. But then at the end of Genesis, Abraham's descendants are not in the land, they are all the way down in Egypt. They're living settled in the land of Goshen, which is on the east side of the Nile River. Joseph is buried there. So like it's the ultimate cliffhanger. God has promised to do these great things, but the people of God, his people are in the wrong place, settling down. And so at the end of Genesis, you wonder, well, are they going to stay there? Is the promise not good? It's the cliffhanger. Y'all following me? So when Exodus picks up, Exodus is like, do any of y'all series that you watch say, previously on so-and-so, right? This is the previously in the story of God's redemptive plan, right? Here are the names of the people who are stuck in Egypt. So the first couple of chapters of Exodus are bringing us up to speed. Because when we last left our people of God, Joseph held a high position of leadership. But Exodus is going to tell us that there has been a regime, a regime change. There you go. I'm having a hard time speaking today. And there's a new Pharaoh. Now, what happens when the president changes? Do they keep all the old cronies? They're like, hey, you were doing a great job with the last president, who happened to be the other party. You go ahead and stay on. No, they clean house. I mean, you might leave some of the lower-level people, but the high-level leaders are not going to stay. So Joseph is dead anyway. But the regime changes, and now there's a whole new Pharaoh who had nothing to do with Joseph. That was the old guy. Now, mo most people say this happened. Most scholars say in 1250 A.D., if you want to write that down, 1250 A.D. And so it was most likely Ramses II is the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Ramses II is renowned for his massive building projects and his equally massive ego. He's a good fit for our Pharaoh. So that's where we are. And the that Pharaoh, Ramses probably, starts tightening down the screws. So they were a free people. Um, God's people were free. And then they started looking rather threatening. And that's in chapter 1. And so we have in chapter 1, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. 
So they take away their freedom. And still, even when they take away their freedom, they realize they're really numerous. So now they are really numerous and really oppressed. So that's really threatening. So they start this brutal campaign of killing their children. They take their babies as soon as they're born, and they kill them if they're a boy. And so you have this whole story of how um, the, the Israelites are trying to resist this. But every bit of their freedom has been robbed from them. And at this point, they cry out to God, and God hears. And we hear this, um, we hear this scripture in chapter 2, verse 25. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. I love that. I'm going to write that down somewhere because that just, that's wonderful. God knew it was time to act. And so here's where Moses comes in because to rescue people to do great things in history, what, who does God always use to perform a rescue or to do a great thing in history? Who is God always looking for? Did somebody say me? Because that's right. God is looking for normal people. God is looking for one of us to lead the rescue, okay? He's going to go in and do it. He needs a leader to speak for him. And so he looks to Moses. Um, Moses has an interesting story. If you read in chapter 2, he was, um, he comes from the tribe of Levi, which I'll, if you look in the study guide, that was not really a great pedigree for him. Um, He came from the tribe of Levi. He had a very brave mother who hid him for three months until she couldn't anymore and then put him in a basket, which, look up the word for basket, Um, It's an interesting tie-in to the rest of the story. And who finds him when he's in a basket in the river? Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is God taking evil and using it for good, right? So Pharaoh decrees that all the babies have to die, and here comes the baby that God is going to use to lead his people. And who picks up that baby? Pharaoh's daughter. God is going to make his plans happen. And so Moses is adopted from the riverbank into the family of Pharaoh. Did y'all know that Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' sister, Miriam, runs up and says, hey, do you want me to find someone to take care of that baby? Pharaoh's daughter says yes, and Miriam goes and runs and gets her mom. Moses' mom. And so Moses is nursed and cared for by his mother who is paid by Pharaoh's daughter to do it. That's nice, isn't it? Like, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. Yeah, God is awesome. And so um, that's, that's how God did that. And then the neat thing was Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. Most of the Hebrew slaves were illiterate, uneducated. They never led anything. And here Moses is growing up a privileged child who is taught how to lead a military. He's taught how to fight. He's taught languages. He has great education. He's taught how to lead all on Pharaoh's dime. Isn't that lovely? Now, here's another thing about Moses. Moses was a Hebrew. He would have looked like a Hebrew, right? We, we know that Joseph shaved because the Egyptians were very clean shaven, right? They didn't have much facial hair, but the Hebrews did. So Moses looked different if you were an Egyptian. If you were a Midianite, he looked like an Egyptian, right? But he didn't really fit with the Egyptians. And we can see from what he did that he didn't really fit with the Hebrews. They're like, who are you, little princeling? Try to lead us. He doesn't fit in Midian. He's this guy who doesn't really feel like he fits anywhere. Isn't that interesting that that's who God calls? So for whatever reason, Moses 
despite growing up in this privilege, because can you imagine if all of your people are suffering, but you got into Pharaoh's household, how tempting it would be to just look the other way? Just kind of let that happen so that you could go on having a good life. But for whatever reason, Moses doesn't do that. He sees a Hebrew slave being abused, and he decides, I'm going to act, right? We know within his heart is that redeemer, but he acts the wrong way. It wasn't like God said, hey, go kill that guy. Moses said, I need to do something, and he killed someone. That's interesting, too, that oftentimes when we try to do something on our own, something good, without God saying to do it, we mess it up royally. And that's what Moses does. So what happens when he comes to the aid of this person and kills the slave master or the taskmaster, the next day he goes out and he's like, now, you know, I can go out and tell the Hebrew people, wait, why are you fighting? And they're like, we're not going to listen to you. What are you going to do? Kill us? You know, who are you? Well, Moses has just gambled everything to try to redeem his people and lost. Because Pharaoh finds out that Moses isn't playing on the Egyptian team anymore. He wants to kill him. So Moses has to flee. He was probably about 40 years old when that happened. And then we get to verse 11. Many years later, when Moses had grown... Oh, wait, okay. Then he spends time in the wilderness, and years passed, and the king of Egypt died. Do you know when the burning bush happened, which is going to be in chapter 3? You want to know how Moses, how old he probably was? 80. Who said 80? Who said it? Ron. Nope. Stan, of course. Way to go. I was almost going to give Ron credit for that, but <laughs> sit near him. It might rub off. You never know. Um, he was 80 years old, and it's to this washed-up has-been, this failure, this murderer, that God appears in this burning bush and says, I need you to go lead a rescue. I am going to rescue my people. You go and lead the charge. And Moses says, and we love this song, especially Jay, here I am, Lord, right? Here I am. And the funny thing is, we sing that hymn, here I am, Lord, you know, is it I, Lord? And it's this great hymn. But you know, Moses only said one good thing in this whole passage. <laughs> Moses, Moses, God says, here I am. And then God says, hey, go and do this thing. And he's like, oh, no, right? <laughs> no, 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 you got the wrong guy. He's backing up. He's like, it's not me. I tried that. It didn't work. You have the wrong man. It's excuse after excuse after excuse after, I mean, it, I get tired before God does of Moses' excuses, but that kind of makes me feel good too, because how often do we do that, right? God will say something a lot easier than what God asked Moses to do. Hey, would you go speak to that person about me? Oh, no. I'm sure you have somebody else, God, who could do that instead of me, and we give excuses and excuses, and you know what God says to Moses when Moses says, I am not good enough to lead this? You know what God says? No problem. You're not leading it. I am. Again and again, God says, Moses, it's not that you are doing it, Moses. It's that I am doing it. I am going to get my kids out of slavery. You just go along with me. I will teach you. I will instruct you. I will give you the words to say. Just go. I'll give you your brother. He'll go with you. Just go. And God says this wonderful revelation of his name. This is where we have the revelation of the divine name, Yahweh. Have you all heard that before? Yahweh. 
a Hebrew word that it's hard to translate for us, but it means I am, I will be. I am, I am with you, I will, I will be with you. Go. It's me, not you, that's going. And I want us to remember that. I want that to be our takeaway of the first part of this book. Is what I try to remember and what this text has reminded me about is that when we look at what we're facing as a church, which is great things, and we look to the future, and I think, man, God, this is a lot. I remember, oh, but it's not on my shoulders to make all of this happen. I just have to be following God. I just have to be in relationship with God. God is making it happen. Now take it to your own life. I know God is calling you to things, different things to speak to someone, to live a certain way that's hard for you. Maybe there's a calling on your life that would be a total change for what you have been and what you will be. And I know that just like Moses, we're like, oh, we can't do it. We remember how we failed before. We remember that we're too old, or we remember that all of our excuses. And what Exodus reminds us of is we don't need to remember our own limitations because we're not the lead actor in the story. We're not the main player. When God calls you to do something, it's not on your shoulders. Whose shoulders is it on? It's on his. Can you say that with me? Because you don't believe it. Say it. It's on his. It's on his. It's on God's shoulders. And that's why eventually Moses is convinced it's not going to be easy for him. It's not going to be easy. It gets worse when Moses shows up. Did you know that? And the people, not for the first time, say, why did you ever come to us? Why did you ever try to deliver us, Moses? And Moses goes, God, why did I ever do this? And God says, just hold on, because I promised you I'm going to get these people out, and I'm going to get them out. And so when we encounter obstacles along that way, we shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't think, oh, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe God wasn't really calling us. We should just remember, if God calls, then it's on God's shoulders because he is in the lead. And that's good news. So let's pray. God, we are all your people here today. And we have all heard you calling us. And often that call is terrifying. And we, we can say, here I am, Lord, and we can sing the song, and then we get to the doing and we give you all the reasons why we're not the right person. Help us to remember, Lord, that when you call, when you call us to lead someone out of bondage, or when you call us to step out of the chains ourselves, or to be a whole new person, that the work of breaking those chains is your work. That the work of making that happen is your work. And that all that we need to do is say, here I am, and be willing to go with you. Help us, Lord, to find the joy in following you. Moses waited his whole life to be a redeemer. And it was when you called that he got to be one. Help us to follow your call and to live in to the deepest desires of our own hearts, Lord. To serve you and to see your glory revealed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.